listening to the PR Wind Down Podcast, the show for public relations professionals who are ready to see real change in the PR industry. We are your hosts, April White and Laura Schooler. Let's get ready to wind down. Happy holidays, everyone. We're winding down from 2020 and looking forward to a new year. In our holiday special this week, we are unwrapping the best advice and the craziest stories from the podcast in 2020 and delivering a double holiday story to keep your spirits bright. But before we begin, we have a stocking stuffer you won't want to miss. We're running a holiday promo here at Trust Relations. Since we've all had enough of 2020, let's look forward to what 2021 has to bring in with 21% off your first month's retainer when you sign a three-month contract by January 31 at our minimum rate. What better gift to give your company than to finally take the plunge with your PR program? (laughs) All right, Laura, let's kick things off for the holiday episode with the best advice that we have to offer from 2020. So my best advice. There's nothing listed. I see stuff listed. It was a joke. Oh, (laughs) okay. So we're gifting our listeners with some pearls of wisdom from the past year. Here are our number one pieces of advice for success in PR and agency life. Mine is never stop learning. No matter how seasoned you are as a professional, you don't know everything and there is always room for growth. And I find this is actually for me, both a principle to apply to your personal life as well as your professional life. Because I just think the moment that you stop growing and the moment that you're satisfied with who you are and how you're responding to the world, the minute that you start to sort of either just become a static person or slip back into some version of yourself from when you were younger that doesn't apply all the wisdom and learnings that you've acquired over Mm -hmm. the years. And I personally wouldn't go back to any of the years that I've had. I wouldn't wish away how I look now for for any of it because it's all hard-earned information and and has made me who I am and has made me stronger and better and more efficient and more kind and more empathetic and more you know hopefully generous and things like that so I mean since this is devoted to PR professionals I think in this context it's really really important to never think that you've arrived that you know it all that you know exactly how things should be done and get too stuck in your ways or too reliant on how things have been done before or how they've worked before. Because first of all, the world isn't static. Things are changing all the time. The way that the media works is changing. The way that social media interfaces with media is changing. The way industries are, are always changing. There's just so much that's always in flux and always moving that there's never a moment where you can think, I've arrived. And I feel like the minute you think you've arrived, you're actually about to digress. Yeah. Scary. It's true though. Yeah. So that's my, that's my favorite advice for 2020. My favorite advice is don't go to the HR people. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean by that? If you're having conflict at work and you're getting preyed upon, treated badly, whatever it is, do not go to HR. Because you're getting railroaded out of there and the person above you has already gone to HR to help them railroad you out of there. Sorry, it's true. So what can you do instead? Get a new job. Or? Hang on for deal life till they uh, lay you off and get um, a buyout package. Or 
get a lawyer. Well, but yeah, so that sort of goes to the second part. Some people, so you can't always get a lawyer. If you definitely have a case of discrimination, then you have to get a lawyer and you must get a lawyer. If you work somewhere that they were sort of jerks to you, it depends. And you need to get one on contingency so that you're not spending money. Yep. But even then, my main piece of advice is HR is not your friend. So sorry to any HR people who are listening to me, but <laughs> I just know it to be a fact. It, many, many places I've gone with uh, many people I've worked with, I've seen it. Well, a lot of the horror stories from 2020 were all about that. Yeah. Going to HR and then the repercut, like the repercussion that came as a result of reporting bad activity to HR. It's worse. It's worse. Yep. It's just a, it's just a function of management. HR is a function of management to keep them from getting sued basically. And to also kind of be the executioner and do their, their dirty work. And the HR people don't really have a choice in the matter. But I think just like with PR, there are good practitioners, right? So there are people- There may HR be, but they don't have a choice. In so many cases, their choice could be, no, I won't do that. And then they get fired. Mm -hmm. So I, you're right. I shouldn't, not all executioners are bad people. <laughs> right. But there's also something to be said for people that are in HR that didn't have the professional training and they might be if you're somebody like me who's hiring an hr person i i would recommend looking for somebody who's going to think outside the box and just do what has to be done as part of hr function because some of it's very relevant of course like distri not, distributing distributing um benefits and you know right. all those kinds of things yeah but this is not that this is me saying to you if you were especially at a big company where there's like an HR function, you know, like with many people, they're not your friend. Agreed. And they can't be, even if they want to. Right. Hey, I think I see our guest, our interviewee waiting for us. Let's let him in. Awesome. So today on the PR Wind Down, we're welcoming Arthur Solomon. He is a seasoned PR veteran, a former journalist, and was previously a senior VP, senior counselor at Burson Marsteller among many other things. I'm very happy that you're able to join us, Arthur, and was interested in having you come on when I read an article that you had recently written that was posted on a PR blog, I think it was, that talked about how you felt that the PR industry could do better and doesn't do things the right way. So that's why, that's why we have Mr. Solomon here today. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing fine and I'm happy to be here. And I agree with the introduction about yeah. the PR industry to do things better. I wanted to ask you, you know, we were talking about the things that you see that are not done right in your opinion. And one of the things that jumped out was that individuals are not like, quote, allowed to take credit for the work they do. Well, in my opinion, the team concept is a management ploy to prevent people from getting the credit they deserve so they can go to management and say, why is Joe Smo getting a promotion instead of me when it's all my work? What the team concept does, it takes everybody's contributions, puts it together, and the team leader you know, presents it. It's not right. It holds people back. It helps people who are the 
office pets who normally get to be promoted. And when I first started out, there was no such thing as a team concept. People would get credit for what they did because they would report to management themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think the team concept became more popular to prevent people from saying, from complaining about, I'm not getting my credit, I'm not getting my raises. I think what people have to do is find a way to let management know what their contributions are. You'll upset some people, but if you don't let management know, others will take your credit. And do you think it's important to present like a team to the client and then like uh, talk to management, you know, inside about your personal contribution? What always helped me was when one person, I'll use myself as an example, was able to talk to a client and say, let's look at this, this, and this from this perspective instead of the usual way. All clients don't like that. They want to know what individual people are doing. They don't, they don't want to know that. Well, there are six people on this team and what we're helping pay the salaries of four of them who do nothing. Right. Interesting. So the other thing that jumped out at me, which is no secret that writing is so important in any you know, profession almost, especially in PR, and that most PR people are not very good at it. <laughs> That's true. And as a journalist, you know, April was a journalist too before she started in PR. So she is a great writer and, you know, it's super important to what she wants to do with her agency and the people who work for her. What do you think that the most important kinds of writing is? The most important writing is not being a great writer. It's being a good journalistic writer. But they have to know where the lead of the story is. Too often, PR people pitch stories or write releases that just work for the clients, and that gets you nowhere. What I used to do quite a bit is help people write the leads to the story. Most PR people don't know how to write leads because mm-hmm. they were never journalists. Right, and they never really learned the right way from, I mean, didn't learn it in college. I don't think they still do, even though there are more PR programs. and. So many times we always talk about in agencies, you know, the young kids are just thrown to the wolves <laughs> without really being. That's true. But what I used to tell people who reported to me, because they came from these communication schools and didn't know, you know, a lead from burying, burying the story to anything. I said, pick up the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, the New York Daily News, write the way they write, and you'll be writing stories that journalists like. Right. Maybe not the content, maybe your content isn't good enough to have them cover it, but at least the stories will be written in a way that they could say, hey, this person at least knows what we're after. Right. And they can right. imagine writing a story based on the way that you wrote it, because it's close enough to what they ultimately would write if you do it well, that maybe it's easier to, and to visualize it, right? Well, so that's why it's so important to write really effective leads so that they do read paragraph two and three and four, right? And if, yeah. if you have a bad first opening sentence, then that's why they're not reading the rest of it. So maybe that's the issue, right? Not that it's too long, but that it's not really that good. <laughs> you're, you're exactly right. Right. So are there other things that you think that PR can do better? I think that what they do is they fill slots as needed. They don't care if a person uh, has any expertise or not. And, and that's a mistake because it hurts the individual who doesn't have that expertise on the account. 
here's the agencies mm -hmm. his clients get at. At the very least, I think PR firms should try to match people's skills with the clients they work on. And they don't do that really. All they want to do is fill in the blanks. I saw the same issue as well at the agencies I worked at. And I worked at some of the big ones as well, Weber and, and Edelman. Um, okay. and, I didn't, and I didn't like that because it was mostly looking at what clients came in and who had capacity and then matching those whether they were a match or not. But that was just what they had to do for the bottom line. So actually what I do with Trust Relations is I do pair people with talent based on what they should work on and what they want to work on. So I always ask them if they want to work on it first. What that means is I have to have a lot more people that are contractors and not, you know, sort of on a freelance basis rather than full-time. And that way you can pull in those areas of expertise rather than making somebody who's a med tech expert all of a sudden do your, you know, consumer, <laughs> your consumer. I mean, that's extreme, right? It wouldn't be that extreme at a big agency, but also do a, you know, an online app or something like that. Right. So I think that that's a really astute point that you're making because I, I saw that same issue and thought, wow, this is, this is inappropriate because these people are not actually the best suited for this client. And why are they paying $20,000 a month? to work with people who don't really have any business to be leading those accounts. It makes no sense to me. And that's right. Another thing that uh, used to bother me, that upset me is for news, new business pitches, they would pick out people who looks like they came from central casting to do the pitch. <laughs> then the client would not see that anymore. Right. But I think that might have changed a while. At least it didn't on the accounts that I managed where the client said, I want, I want to see the people working on the accounts, not not the people the who come out just pitch in pitches. People. Yeah. But I think that was because I used to tell them that. Oh, really? I, I, I was always very honest with clients. Yeah. And it always worked to my advantage. What, uh, what were some of your favorite clients in your career? Well, I managed the Gillette for eight, nine years. I changed the entire way they conducted the all-star baseball selections when Gillette was the sole sponsor of it. I worked on many Olympic accounts. I also worked on a GE at that time was a major account for person. I worked on them. And before then, I worked on the political accounts, which I really liked. One of the reasons I got out of politics is because uh, it was a small boutique agency and the owner of it, who was the most creative, nice, scary PR person. And you know, PR pe people managements aren't very nice usually. <laughs> well, they look at the bottom line. <laughs> he was the most caring person there is, but he died very young. So I, mm -hmm. I, I transitioned. And once I left person, you know, I worked on, you know, one that I always remember is, I was one of the first people that did a campaign about keep parents out of school, out of school sports, you know, where the parents would show up and start hollering at uh, the referees or, or the coaches or heard. whatever or the other the other yeah. kids yeah yeah well i we, no, I, I don't no, know if i ever no, saw no. that at school but like town sports they're used to like i remember on the baseball town. like boys fathers you see in the fist fights on the you're <laughs> on right the field uh, you're right i stand corrected it wasn't the school sports it was a town sports. oh it was so. oh, okay yeah you're right 
That's so funny. Yeah, that's a thing. I don't think that, I hope that doesn't happen anymore, but it used to happen. So, so wait, who hired you though? What was like the actual client? That, that was a, an account called Raycom and Raycom was a uh, producer of television sport events. Oh, so why do you think that you went into PR instead of advertising? You know, it's interesting to ask that because some of the people at Percival Stella uh, would tell me the way you talk about PR Maybe used to be in advertising instead. Uh, I wanted to PR basically because I was off the job. It's like it a lot of years. people get into PR kind of by accident a little, you know, like. <laughs> I sort of. If the, news, if the newspapers ever were out of business, I might have never gone into PR. Right, right. Why do you think people thought you were in advertising? And is, is it because you're like more strategic in nature and how you approach PR than some of your counterparts? Or, or where do you yeah. think that comes from? Yeah, it came for this way, because uh, when I worked on an account, what I would do is try to come up with a, a theme. Mm -hmm. And under that theme, I would flesh out the strategies and tactics. And some people would say, yeah, that's an advertising strategy. It's not a PR strategy. What right. we want to do is come up with strategies, tactics, implements. I said, no, I said, no, you need a theme in order to make it all work. So that's why they would say that. It's funny. I feel like we're very aligned in a lot of what we saw in the industry and some of the issues because I, I definitely feel very strongly about informing clients about bigger strategies if they're not doing anything that's inherently newsworthy, right? So sometimes that's even telling them you need to do something unique with your business. You need to add this kind of an initiative or you need to do this kind of a campaign or I mean you're really thinking strategically as a publicist you're able to imagine okay well what you've got now isn't working but if you had something like this or this or this and then a lot of times that can spark those those bigger ideas you just said two things that really I agree with PR people if something isn't working they'll say well this is what a client approved that they're going to do it I always said stop in the middle let's tell the client it's not working and let's strategize this way so that's one thing that PR people don't like to do. Yep. The other thing was most PR programs to journalists look the same. If you go back, they have different names, different this, but it's the same program really with, with a different uh, client. client name. Very little originality. Yep. And that, that has always bothered me in PR. And I always try to make the programs I manage different. So do you think a way to help facilitate that is to encourage your employees to read a lot of different things to sort of get ideas and also get the tenor of what's going on in the world? Well, they have to read a lot to know what's happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of creativity, I think, is inbred. Mm -hmm. You know, they used to send people to creativity schools. It's a you either have it or you don't. I think so. But they have to read a lot to know what's happening. Right. The worst PR person could do, I would say, is send send a pitch to Joe Jones at the Wall Street Journal, who just wrote the same story for another client two days ago. And that's what everybody does, right? That, that's what they do. They don't read. And, and since television, they don't even, what they do is go to the sport bar. Mm -hmm. after. And I also think that like you said, like uh, PR people pitch the same reporter on basically the same story, you know, two days later. Also, you don't want to just read about your one single industry all the time because everybody, it's basically feeding the same thing. That's why you want to read other things as well, because you never know where you're going to spark, you know, an idea from a totally different industry. Mm -hmm.
and bring well, it back. What I used to do with pitches for people who, who reported to me, I would let them write the pitch and then I would go over it and edit it. But what I would always add to it, always say five different ways a reporter could approach a story. Mm -hmm. And when the management editor of Business Week became the corporate PI director for Gillette, he called me and said, do you want to pitch the account? I said, sure. And he said, one of the reasons I want you to pitch it is because you never said, can you do the story? And if I said no, you would say, ah. Oh. You would say, well, here are four other ways of approaching it. And that's how I got the Gillette account and that changed my, uh, you know, my stature at personal Stella. Right. Did they, did they give you a um, percentage of the business? No, are you kidding? <laughs> right. I got, I got promotions and yeah. stuff I got later on, you know. Right. I mean, because that's pretty valuable. And it, I mean, an account yeah. like that. And did, were there accounts that were unsavable? Yes. There and were accounts why? There. Why were they on? What do you think the crux of their unsavability was? PR people, the, the account team, oh. uh, making promises that they couldn't fulfill. That were, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the main reason. So it wasn't the client in your mind. It was. Well, well look. When people used to complain about clients, I would say, you know, as long as the client pays the bill every month, he's doing okay as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. I mean, I accepted clients complaining. Why not? I mean, they're paying a lot of money. As uh, your mm -hmm. colleague said, $20,000 a month, $30,000 a month. Well, I assume they say, I'm not getting my money's worth. Don't take it to heart. It's not meant to you in person. Uh, the client likes what we're doing overall. If not, we wouldn't have his account. So let him complain. Mm -hmm. I think some of what you said earlier might be related to the same issue in terms of having the you know people from Central Casting going to do the pitch. Because I feel like people pitching the business that have turned into great salespeople, but have focused their efforts there and have stopped doing the work. And then therefore they're pitching things that are completely impossible. So then they go back to the account teams and say, okay, so we told the client we'd be on Oprah and in the New York times and in the wall street journal and then today show and, you know, go do it. Right. And they're like, what are you talking about? There's no universe on which this client is going to be on at least three of those. And then it's, it becomes like, like, you know, the stuff rolls downhill and it ends up being the, the problem of the junior people that couldn't do the fulfill, you know, the grandiose Lofty promises. Goal. Yeah, the grandiose yeah. promises of the of the pitch team. A creative idea isn't creative as far as I'm concerned, unless it could be implemented. Right. Agreed. And it's just nonsense. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's just a waste. So tell the world a little I, bit about what you do these days. Okay. I, I write for a few uh, PR websites. I write for PR News, Compro, Biz, Bulldog Reporter. Mm. I think that's where you saw my article. Mm -hmm. And I do that because I have never had a, a website. I have been fortunate to always get clients recommendations from one from another. Do it's you do just consulting though now for, yeah. for, yeah. Oh, okay. I can't, there's a lot, a lot of people don't want to let, let you know, as you know, that they're having outside help. Oh, so, so you're, you're behind the scenes. People don't know, that, clients don't know you're there? Depends on who it is. For, okay. for big agencies, when I did cons consulting, I was always behind the scenes. Okay. For, for smaller agencies, 
uh, they don't mind just interacting with the clients. How did you watch the TV show uh, Mad Men? No. Well, so. You, you, it's sort of like what I'm thinking is it stops in the early 70s. You know, the show's not on anymore. It stopped when it got to the right. early 70s. So maybe you need to write a TV show treatment that picks like up the PR world, like in the, the mid to late 70s and goes into the 80s. And then you can Mad Men for PR on TV. I like it. Well, I like to write. <laughs> yeah, I like to write uh, opinion articles, you know, so it really does. Well, you did it very effectively because you're the only person since we've been doing this that I said to April, I go, we got to, we, I, can I, you know, interview this guy? She said, you know, oh, really? <laughs> yes, based solely on your articles. So you are quite an effective writer. You made me act, which is what, that, that's why you write, right? Right. And, and the views that you have are so similar to the ones we hold that that was fascinating to see someone that's out there saying it, you know, and I feel like we're, I, I don't understand why more people aren't seeing and or talking about what we're talking about because it seems like it's a pretty widespread issue and that the industry suffers pretty greatly because of it. And I, I think there's a lot of room for improvement. So I'm not to throw everyone under the bus, but I just think it's just, it feels like, wow, why hasn't, you know, I mean, I actually started this agency because I had gone off and started complaining about how things were done. And I thought, well, I guess that's a sign that I have to go try to do it differently, right? Because, I mean, I can just sit here and, and get sour or I can try to see if it's possible to correct some of these things that I see as missteps. So that's what I'm trying to do. But, boy, it's, it's not that simple. Well, I know why people don't talk about it at agencies. F-E-A-R. <laughs> that's real. Well, that's why everybody does everything in this life, right? People at agencies... In my experience, I'll say, I was so afraid of talking back to management. Yeah. Not saying be nasty, but saying you're wrong. It got to be this way. Right. They're so afraid of doing it, especially now. There are what I don't know, 25 people coming out of college every hour for, for somebody's job mm -hmm. at an agency. You know, right now I I work with three or four other senior people who were at agencies, and when we get an account, we just get together and work together mm -hmm. so we don't have that big agency you know right. fear anymore right, right right how do you think PR has changed in the last which which we say 40 years I think it is much less much less creative I think it's much more by the book and I think the reason for that is because of what they teach them at communication schools did you ever pick up a communication a public relations book from a from a communication school oh no I actually have not well, then you're not missing much. <laughs> I didn't even know what PR was when I was in college. So, yeah, no, I, I really accidentally got into it because I was like into the media and politics. So I got a job for the state of New Jersey in the press office. If you were to start over and uh, create a PR firm from scratch, what are the top things that you would do differently from the agencies that you worked for? Firstly, I would not to look for the people who went to prestigious communication schools. I would want to look for people when I interviewed them who could think differently. Mm -hmm. I would ask them questions. I might give them a, a story from a newspaper and say, rewrite this with different angles. I, I'd want to mm. see that. That's neat. Um, I like that idea. Number two, I would tell people that they have to realize it's not a nine-to-five job. And number three, I would say, okay, you're hired. Let's give it a try. 
because I truly believe you never know how good a person is until you let them work and see their results. Mm-hmm. That's what April does. It is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yep. Oh. We're, okay, we're kindred spirits. All right. Well, this was really inspirational. And I don't use that word lightly. And I very <laughs> much appreciate that you uh, were able to join us today. No, so I enjoyed you. it. Yeah. It's so been we such will... a pleasure. Anything else you want to plug before we get off? Do you have any, uh, you want to drop your email address or anything where you want people to find you? If yeah. They want to reach you? My email address is Arthur Solomon, the number four, P for Peter, R for Arpitz, at Juno, J-U-N-O dot com. Perfect. That's great. I appreciate that. Wonderful. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Be well. (laughs) You too. Fantastic. Well, that was a fantastic interview. I was very excited. So I think what we have next is uh, unwrapping the best of our what not to do from PR pros who know from 2020. Oh, okay. So it's a look back at the year. Yeah, it's a retrospective podcast. Under our virtual tree, so to speak. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So we are about to unwrap the best of our what not to do from PR pros who know from 2020. So number one from episode seven, don't simply tell your client that they can't get coverage because they don't have something newsworthy. As a publicist, it's your job to find an angle that works and offer creative solutions. I love this one. I think that this is Fantastic That's what he was just talking about. It's exactly what he was just talking about. That's right. You never just say yes, ma'am, yes, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. It it's just true. Does. I do. I do never say yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. But <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> even if you, <laughs> even if even if you don't don't speak in weird arcane language, um, <laughs> even if you're not from Ohio, uh, where are you from? Oh, Iowa. <laughs> Iowa. Yes. Very different from Ohio. <laughs> So that's, that's number one. Do you want to do, do the honors of number two from episode 10? Yes. So uh, from episode 10, we talked about don't assume that your supervisor is there to serve you. You know, chat about managing up and learn that client relations, about client relations by treating your own supervisor as a client. I think that's our instruction. So yes. Yeah, so don't assume your supervisor is there to serve you which I think, yes, ties directly into that, making sure that you're treating your the people above you like they're your client because the more that you do that the more that you learn client relations the better you get at it. so you get experience doing client relations internally before you ever have to be client facing which then by the time you're client facing and obviously they're hopefully going to be a much harder audience unless you have very horrible bosses in which case you should work for trust relations instead but <laughs> if you don't if you don't have that then you should definitely take advantage of the opportunity that you have people that you can use as a sounding board and, and get, get some experience doing those things with. Learn um, how to kiss some ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of, one of the things that's really important when you're dealing with clients is making sure that you get information from them that you need to do your job. And I think that also applies when you're younger mm. because you need to go out to your people above you and say, how can I help? This is what I have in mind, but these are the things that I need you to fill in the gaps on, or mm-hmm. this is what I, you know, th- these are my to-dos for this week. As far as I see them, what am I missing from your to-do list that I can take on? Or what are you doing on your plate that I can take off of it 
and then you suddenly make yourself more and more indispensable to your, your person above you. And mm-hmm. if you apply that to the client, it's the same thing, right? Because what we're trying to do is always be more and more indispensable to them so that they can't possibly imagine life without us. Right. (laughs) And so same with managing up to you, right? You want them to never be able to imagine you've made that life easier. Um, Okay. Number three from episode 12, don't equate PR with sales and don't expect media heads to generate massive sales for your business. (laughs) So this is for the client, this one. This one's for the client. Yes. It's a, it's a good one. that's come up a lot this year. It has. I feel like it's really a consumer client issue. I mean, have you ever had a client who's the total B2B, you know, professional services or whatever, be like, why didn't, you know, somebody call us to sign a million dollar contract? What I have had recently is a client that had very specific outlets in mind that only a handful of these outlets would in their mind move the needle because their customers are only reading these five publications. And so we've gotten press hits in outer tier publications that quite frankly are very close, right? The industry is right. It's just not the five that in their head, they think they know their people to be reading. And so therefore it's, it's a total loss it's a total waste of time, oh. total waste of budget. It's a total waste of effort. And none of what you're doing is actually helping our bottom line. So there, it, do, it does happen, but it happens in that kind of more nuanced way. Yep, I get it. When that makes sense, that's sort of the difference B2B or consumer. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. So in episode 15, we said, don't get so busy with housekeeping tasks during the first month of a new client contract that you don't generate news hits. In other words, don't assume your timeline is the same as your new clients. Right. Especially these smaller startup clients these days, they, they want to hire you and like be in the media, like in three days. (laughs) Yes. And they don't want to wait even a a week. Yeah. They want to see results immediately. And I think it's very easy at the very beginning because there are so many little housekeeping to do. So you need to set up all the folders on the server and you need to get all their assets so that you can build their press kit and you need to get all their messaging so that you can get that aligned and you need to build the media list and you need to make sure that you have all their marketing and business plans and collateral so you can make sure that your plan that you're drafting aligns with it. And you're so busy, 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 busy doing all of these things that need to be done and are important that you forget that you kind of just also need to start pitching as soon as possible while that's all happening. It's like a little bit of a juggling act. But that's why they're spending what limited funds they have, right? Yep. I like that one. I think it's a good one. Episode 17, we have don't assume your senior level supervisor is keeping track of every detail and every account. So you don't have to. (laughs) That's sort of like the managing up thing. It's similar. It's similar, but I think it's like one of those things where you assume when you're junior that because a senior person is is above you, that they know everything and they're just going to like dictate down to you everything that needs to be done. Yeah. But what you don't realize until you're older is that they're on twice as many accounts as you Mm -hmm. and have three times as many details to keep track of in their head Mm -hmm. because they're dealing with the budget also and they're not telling you about it. And they're dealing with like 
a new business pitch and you're not even involved, right? right. All kinds of other random management things, right? issues of other, you know, employees. Right. Yeah. Or in my case, it's like, you know, even bizarre things that I'm managing about, you know, the internal holiday party details. And it's like, right. I, I, if I say a detail once and that person doesn't run with it, then it's probably not going to get done because right. I'm not going to remember until too late that it didn't get done. And so it's those kinds of things where it's like, yeah it's important for the junior people to hold those details close to their heart and be like, I own this and I'm going to, you know, I run with it and I make it happen because otherwise things do start to fall through the cracks. Okay. Number Episode 18. Yeah. Right. Let's hear it. Don't wear hoodies to client meetings or zoom calls. In other words, you are not Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> I love I, after I, that episode after I said that, then like I was wearing a baseball hat in the next client meeting that we had. Were. <laughs> I tried not, I did, I tried to not show myself on video, but you guys were like, come on, it's okay. No, and then you were like, <laughs> I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> like, no. Oh, I like, it was one of those days where I got out of bed and like had done a million things and never um, took a shower. I know all My of hair that. was worse than wearing the hat. That's how bad it was. It's a good thing I have a good personality. That's right. Okay. You pulled, you, you dressed, you dressed up the camera. With it was your, a client call too. Your charisma. But he, he was wearing a hoodie. I, if I remember, he was not dressed up either. And he was cool. He was. Yeah. No, it all, it was all very funny. To say, but I, 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 I stand by that. I, I was a big fail. And I remember on that episode, we talked also about how your Zoom wardrobe might be different than your regular wardrobe for oh, an yeah. office setting because we were talking about, you know, if you wear a sleeveless blouse and it's all dressed up with the skirt and Shoes heels and, and jewelry, yeah. Yeah, then it looks one way. But if all people see is like your naked arms and like a lot of your chest and, right. you know, suddenly it starts to look a little bit non-professional yes. <laughs> in a way that in the office would not even occur to someone. So I think it's important in this weird quarantine world to make sure that you're from here to here or however much of you shows in the camera looks right. professional. Like so our last what not to do from Pierre Pros, you know, of 2020 from episode 19, do not let your egomaniac client convince you that his or her ideas are novel without checking that they are before pitching them. And I like this one a lot because I have learned this the hard way far more times than I care to admit. Because you believe every what everybody tells you. Of course. I'm a naive girl from Iowa. So, <laughs> oh, really? This is like, you have these really novel thoughts about the industry? That's amazing. Wait a and minute. You, Electronic money? You're the, what? I, this is outrageous. I'm just kidding. And then you go to pitch it, and then the media writes you back like... We wrote about this 18 times last month. Or six years ago right or, right 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 or or like somebody's been saying these same ideas for the last three years right or or coca-cola just you know bought the company that does the same thing and we don't care about you right a hundred percent it happens so much more often than anyone so you got to do your research and due diligence God before you sign it. a client would it keep you from signing a client though it would inform the new business process because i don't think that means that they're not pitchable it just means that then you have to look for another angle or and these you know like we talked about with our our boy uh arthur today like the totally 
come up with four or five different ways to approach this. Just like really out of the box creative thinking. Yes. Agreed. Okay. So next under our virtual tree, we have a countdown of the craziest moments from this show this year. <laughs> I, number so one. the, the first one, number one from episode eight, we have Mr. Peanut reincarnating as Peanut Jr. <laughs> Do you remember this? Yeah, I mean, the fact that Mr. Peanut died to begin with, to me, was, like, crazy enough. Right. So talk about, So this is part of the reason why I asked Arthur if he was in advertising, because I feel like this is the kind of stuff that he was thinking, and this was advertising, right? But the okay. advertising was so crazy that it turned into good PR. Mm -hmm. Even though it was, like, what? why would you kill Mr. Peanut? And everybody, like, all these people mm -hmm. are dying. Like, it's the worst idea, but meanwhile, it worked. Because people wrote about right. it because it was so off the wall. Right. And then I still think after we did the episode, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, I'm sure all of those people that were going crazy on social media and so outraged and angry about this were all plants. Oh. None of that was real. planters? <laughs> no, I think they had to be. A I mean, lot there's of them. no way uh, there's very small possibility so basically what they did with that is sort of what's happening in political pr of that outrage the cancel culture the right and then they kind yeah. of used it for peanut jr <laughs> yeah no you're right there's some there's some crossover as an approach there yeah and and sort of leaning into people being yeah being angry as leverage for press which is kind of gross Okay, moving on. From episode 17, we had Orbit Gum, and they were doing the parent babysitting contest for millennials, dating online and more. And they also had these kind of other, you know, interesting campaigns they were doing. I remember how we were talking about how different it was in today's day and age that the idea that you need fresh breath for a date. Oh, right. And here we are sitting at home, so who cares? Right. So... It almost felt a little bit like, whoops, maybe they need to retool. Maybe they maybe they had it in place before COVID and they just had to kind of push it along. It? Yeah. Although people now can go on dates, but apparently in San Francisco, you can only kiss if you move in together and you, uh, you can only date in public with masks on. There's some crazy like San new, Francisco. I'm not even joking. I thought it was a joke when I heard about it. And I was like, wait, that's that they're joking. No, it wasn't sarcastic. It was, you cannot kiss somebody that you're dating unless you move in together. Well, that's a good way for like, you know, women to um, land a man. <laughs> we got to move in together now. <laughs> <laughs> we had some pretty crazy back-to-back -back Halloween horror stories too. Oh, fingers crossed. Okay. Laura, do you remember when a listener almost sent out a press release with the word demon included throughout the entire thing, where it should have said product demo instead? That's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> well, that's what I've said. Like, a lot of times, after you've read something over and over, you don't see it anymore. And since you put, if you hit spell check, the word demon is a word that is spelled corrected correctly. No, so, so you, you can't just rely on spell check. Yeah. And I would not rely on Grammarly either. I think people get reliance on that. So 
read it again with a fresh set of eyes. If you have to, if you have to do it immediately, get up and walk around your desk a couple of times yeah. or like go outside and get a fresh breath, fresh brush of air before you do the final read. Uh, that one was very funny. <laughs> Laura, do you remember we had that one anonymous listener who had an international client fall asleep on the phone after one too many glasses of wine and then the, they had to like politely hang up on their clients? And then like the client must have woken up and been like, what? What? Hello? What? <laughs> can't even imagine the state like what would you I still don't know what that person would have done hey you fell asleep or you just pretend the call finished you got through all the to-dos I think it depends on like how old you are you know what I mean like if you're young you probably just pretend like it didn't happen if right you're older, you're right like, so I hope you got a good sleep the other right. day right it depends on your relationship with the client too yeah, that is yeah. so funny then there was the other horror story where the boss had a domestic dispute with his wife in the office and paid the entire marketing department of $20. 20, he gave them all like crisp dollar bills, crisp $20 bills to keep quiet. $20. He's like, thanks for all your hard work. And he winked. Remember the winking? Oh my God. Well, it was so, so strange because it was like, the wife worked for the company too, or was a consultant to the company or something? I think she managed. I think he was like the top dog. I think she was like a vice president or something along those lines. Something, or maybe they co-led the oh my God. agency. I don't know. I don't know. Here's a Awful. thing. That's so great. Awful. Oh, and we had the other listener write in to share the story about the agency CEO who f would always flaunt her like least BMW and Valentino purse and Burberry sunglasses and Hermes bracelets and like but never paid the employees on time. And wasn't that also like the health insurance didn't get paid? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and they went to the dentist or something. It was like the family dentist. Dental program. Oh, oh my, god. my god. And then it resulted in the lawsuit that the person won. Oh my God. Well, of course. Yeah, that's crazy. Woo. That one, that I, I, I remember that one. Cause I was like, if that happened to me, like there would have been heads rolling down Broadway. Right. No, you would have, you, I think you like got up off camera cause you were so upset. I got up as far as my earphones would let me go. <laughs> <laughs> so Laura, let's, I think we have some fashionable PR moments also from, uh, from the 2020 do you want to why aren't you in any of these i think because i don't have any fashionable <laughs> <PR moments. laughs> they're all you well um yes my red leather shoes they weren't just leather they were patent leather i don't think i don't i think they fell apart finally yes and i so funny. even though i was wearing like a, a pinstripe suit i had like red patent leather shoes on and like what that was the what yeah. right 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 and everyone's like check out schooler on floor 15 or whatever like, right <laughs> the, the partner said to me he said i think you and i have very different kinds of friends or something like that <laughs> or like we don't have the same lifestyle because i had red <laughs> shoes on it's so funny oh that's great you're a oh. wild and crazy girl yeah exactly and then there was my favorite the Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton pantsuits. 
Wait, what was the pantsuits thing again? So it was on, it was the horrible story about like the party that the agency had on the company, like one of their clients or two of their clients dimes that had nothing to do with the client, I think, out in the Hamptons. And they had hired like little people who to like perform in Hillary Clinton pantsuits. Wait, they're having, that's right. They were having little people perform as Hillary Clinton in Hillary pants, in Hillary Clinton pantsuits. Right. And strip, right? Oh God, I don't even know if I realized it was a, a stripping thing. I was I'm just pretty believe, sure. I, no, I I'm pretty sure like, it was stripping. I think the worst part about that is the Hillary Clinton pants. <laughs> <laughs> I just see these like, polyester like turquoise suits or something. Oh my God, I'm laughing so hard. I sound like an old man. Like even um, if it was like, I don't care what size people like the, the horrible like boxy right pantsuits no it just adds insult to which history. which just reminded me i was like oh speaking of boxy pantsuits and that's what the next on our list is my first job interview suit <laughs> oh right from aunt wait was it ann taylor no it no, was jones new york <laughs> oh that's so funny it wasn't a pantsuit but it was like you know it was so, the color, oh my the God. material, this, it was horrible. Everything was so bad. The only good thing is that I was like young and, you know, uh, I weighed less. So I was, you know, I made it look as good as it possibly could look. Oh my God. And I think I wore so like funny. pantyhose, you know, like nude pantyhose. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What else are you going to wear with something like that? Oh yeah. Oh my God. I definitely, I remember, I think I told this story in one of the podcasts too, where somebody had to tell me not to wear pantyhose. Do you remember this? <laughs> I, so what had happened is I had moved from Iowa to New York city and took a job at an agency and we had a client coming to the office and I had, you know, kind of done similar to what you had done, like the dorky version of trying to look professional and dress up. And I think I had even gone to the working girl. I, think I even had taken the path train to Newark and then gone to the outlet mall in Jersey to be able to find myself. Did you go to Secaucus? Yeah. And I went to, and I got many clothes and I went to the Ann Taylor loft outlet there and I had gotten like a pink skirt and a black top. And it was like, I thought it looked so cute, but it was so not cute. Like it was Midwestern girl's version of what she thinks a New York girl looks like. I'm going to I, work. I have a, I have a briefcase. A hundred percent. And I put on like terrible, too. like non-fashionable pumps. And then I had pantyhose on. That's where the girls in the office drew the line. Like they came into my office and they're like, you can't wear pantyhose. You need to take those off. I was like, what? Like you can't wear pantyhose are out of date. I was like, what am I supposed to wear? She's like bare legs. So I heard the same thing. So this is, I used to wear like black tights like all the time. Cause whatever I, 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 my goth girl or something, I really wasn't in cut. But anyway, even like in high school, black tights, black tights, always black tights, under shorts, under anything, black tights. So what I finally ended up doing (laughs) probably is worse than the patent leather red shoes. And they're not, they don't open anymore. American Apparel would make the mini like fishnet stockings in every different color. Right. So I started wearing fishnet stockings and at a distance, it sort of looks like opaque pantyhose. But up close, people are like, oh my God, you're wearing fishnet stockings. So 
it was still cool in my mind, but I can't go without, I cannot wear nothing on my legs. It's the worst. I mean, people run little mothers, grab their, their children off the streets and like <laughs> run away. It's, I'm so white that I'm blue. So like my <laughs> legs were like light blue. It was horrible. Like it looks so bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Whoa. Okay. We've all had a boss, a job or a colleague who we might like to see with some coal in their stocking. <laughs> or a client. <laughs> this week we have a holiday themed horror story from our listening audience. You can decide who in these stories was naughty or nice. Ooh, let's get into it. It's like, it's like the uh, ghost of Christmas past kind of stuff, you think? <laughs> yeah. Do you want me to go first? Do you want to go first? It looks like you're up, actually. You go okay, first. Okay, here we go. Okay. Many years ago, I'd been working in-house PR at a job in New York City for at least a year and rarely took off any days. Maybe a half day around the holiday, if that. Christmas was approaching, and we did not have the, quote, week between Christmas and New Year's off at this particular company. So I asked for the day after Christmas off so that I could, you know, go home and spend it with my family. My boss said, okay, and I made my plans, and all was well. Or it seemed that way. So about a week before Christmas, my boss asked me what I was doing, if I was flying anywhere, et cetera, for the holiday. I said, no, I was going to visit my parents and would be driving boss said, okay, good, because now I am going away to Florida, and that means you have to be here for the day after Christmas. Um, what? I asked if I could have someone else, quote, fill in for me on December 26th instead, like someone in a different office or someone from our PR firm, and boss said, no, someone has to physically be here in case something happens and the person will be you. I started to reply. But, but it's the day after Christmas, and what, what is it? Before I could finish, my boss said, what? What is going to happen? What could possibly happen? Well, nobody knew 9-11 was going to happen, so. <laughs> <laughs> Completely flabbergasted by the scenario, as well as that response, quote, I had to relent. Okay, I'll be there. Oh, and P.S., this boss was of a faith that did not celebrate Christmas. So I got a ride back the day after Christmas at my leisure and got into my office about noon. At 1 p.m., my desk phone rang. It was my boss in Florida. How are things going, boss asked. Fine, I said. We had a conversation about nothing since nothing was happening that day, and the boss was just checking to make sure I was there. But I always got a little bit of pleasure from knowing that I got a half day to myself. My boss never knew it. Jerk face. <laughs> You know, that's such a grinchy story. I mean, and what do you do? Yes, you can go away. Now I'm going to trick you into telling me that you're not really going away. And then I'm going to make you come in the day. How does somebody even get to the office the day after Christmas when they're like, I don't care if it's like just the next state or whatever, you know, like you've gone to Christmas, you've got stuff, you whatever. I, oh my God. I can't believe this person didn't say, I, per the request that I put in three weeks ago, right? I have a paid day off that you approved. Yeah, but I, I guess that it was irrelevant. That is so horrible. So I guess this person did the best they could and they just 
showed up late. What a horror. What, I mean, it's, it's pretty funny. They got a half day and the boss didn't know. No. But I, I also love the fact that the person was like, what the hell is going to happen the day after Christmas? And the guy, I guess guy, or this could be a woman too, right? Said, well, nobody knew that 9-11 was going to happen. What the? Right. How is that relevant to anything? How, and who says that? What a strange thing to say. Oh, my God. People. I mean, yeah, I don't even have advice for this person other than the normal, like, keep it moving. Yeah. Because it sounded job. like it sounded like they did the right thing because he probably would have gotten fired otherwise. But Right. Right. I mean, to be so recalcitrant and just be like, no, I'm not coming to work the day after Christmas. Although they have every right to do so, frankly. Yeah, of course. Oh. And like somebody had to physically be in the office. It's like, get, come on. No, it's terrible. Uh, all right. I'll, let's let's read the other one. Maybe it's nicer. Here we go. Number two. I once gave my boss, who was very grumpy and Grinch-like around the holidays, a gift from a secret admirer. I thought it would cheer him up. Unfortunately, it did not. Instead, it made him crazy. <laughs> <laughs> He began going all over the office asking people who they thought his secret admirer was and whether it was the woman he hoped it was. Aww. It tormented him for days. It became oh. all-consuming. He could hardly focus on anything oh. else. Eventually, I had to fess up to put him out of his misery and mental whirlwind, which did end his frenetic search for his secret Santa, but did not make him feel any better. <laughs> he was heartbroken. It was me and not her. Oops. <laughs> Lesson learned, never give your boss an anonymous gift to cheer him up or her up around the holidays. It could lead to all kinds of unnecessary mischief and heartache. <laughs> and meanwhile, it's probably illegal, like in this day and age too, right? To give oh a gift? God. To give a secret Santa gift? Right, like, you know, hey, like. Oh, oh Lord. That one's just like, that, that's like, that's like a scene out of a, um, uh, Ben Stiller movie or something. <laughs> you know oh god okay that's enough on that thank you so much for joining us for the pr wind down holiday special we'll return with our regularly scheduled episodes on january 8th and until then kick back pour yourself some eggnog and enjoy some time off with your loved ones even if it's from a safe distance this year can't wait to wind down with you again next time next year Woohoo! <laughs>